God is so good. And he's restoring us by his love. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. We're going to pick up at verse 38. And um, this week, after a couple of weeks of um, special services around Christmas and New Year, we're returning to our sermon series um, from Matthew, Restored and Restoring. And we're um, in the middle of taking a deep dive in the Sermon on the Mount. And for any of our guests that maybe if you're not familiar with this part of Scripture, it's Jesus teaching people on a hillside. And so um, he's in the middle of teaching, and he says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I was reminded of a story from my childhood this week as I listened to a parent talk about um, just the disappointing way that something that they had looked forward to in their family um, didn't go off quite as they had hoped. And um, the story that it reminded me of, and it's more than 50 years ago, but um, it was frequent enough that I'm pretty sure I've got the details pretty right. Um, It was Saturday, and my parents said that if we behaved and did our chores, that after dinner we would go to the Dog and Suds in Jackson, Mississippi. That's where we lived at the time, and we were going to get root beer floats. Well, um, we loved those icy cold root beer floats, and they brought them out in a big chilled glass mug on tray and brought it to your um, car door window. And um, we just loved going to get one of those. And so we set off to do our chairs, our chores, and one of us um, looked at the other and made a face of some sort. And then the other one says, Don't do that. What? You made a face. Oh, like this? Hmm. You know, and uh, it just escalated from there. And so um, pretty soon we're shoving each other with our elbows. I'm not, we don't have too many kids in this room right now, but I'm not telling you, this is the way not to behave to your brothers and sisters. But we were shoving each other. We were hitting each other. We were pulling here. We were scratching. We were kicking. 
and our and we are crying and our parents come in and they say you guys you are not behaving you are not acting loving to each other and we are not going to get to go for root beer floats tonight well we were so disappointed um but we weren't acting in love we weren't representing our family and they couldn't take us out in public if we couldn't even act loving toward each other well <clears throat> our father our heavenly father has good plans and as he as jesus sat on that hillside um and he's looking at the people in front of him he has just spoken a whole slew of blessings exciting things wonderful things that they were to experience that the father wanted to pour out on them remember blessed are blessed are um you know this is just going to be so wonderful um for them to know their identity and ha- know their inheritance to receive comfort they were going to be full of righteousness they were going to receive mercy they were going to have revelation of god they were going to see god their purpose as peacemakers was going to come forth they were going to know what they were on earth to do how many of us wonder sometimes what are we on earth to do they were going to have the full benefits of the kingdom and the hope of a great reward even for those who would be persecuted the father had great plans and jesus was looking at them with that in mind with that perspective all oh, the good that's coming well we just heard last week a number of people share words impressions of the lord that um they felt like the lord was saying for 2024 god has this in store for gold avenue church and for churches and so we heard the holy spirit um gave many impressions he wants to bless us with intimacy with him and living in union with Christ through his word and prayer as a top priority. He wants us to serve as friends, right? As friends with him and to work from a place of rest and not your stress. He wants us to live and serve from the place of knowing our identity as ones who are treasured by him, as ones who will go out as salt and light. Are you remembering this if you were here? I'm kind of doing a little bit of a review for us and if you didn't catch this you can go back and listen to it in our church email last week. He wants us to be those that despite any storm have full granaries ready to show hospitality and mercy, building relationships with our neighbors over meals. He gave us this impression that he wants us to live and work from his perspective so that we'll have his view on matters. God will give us wisdom. He'll be our anchor when the storm hits. Like Esther, we're here for such a time as this. There'll be new opportunities to serve that are going to require faith to step in and also faith to step away from things as the way we've been doing it. We heard that he views us and we should view ourselves as a lab, as a first aid station, as a cheering station. As the world grows more chaotic, people will come here for refreshment from the living word and the living water. God wants us to know that this is a season of building and birthing new things as he releases joy and freedom. Wow, how exciting is this? And so what do we do? Well, there's two responses to prophetic words to pray and to obey. 
And so um, to pray, Jesus is soon in the Sermon on the Mount going to turn towards teaching them about prayer. And we're going to hear about that in a couple of weeks when Reverend Scott Stark comes and preaches. He's um, our regional mission leader from Resonate Global Mission and formerly with Campus Ministries here um, at Allendale and downtown. But let me just pull up, if you can pull up that slide, Brittany. We have this on a bookmark in the back, and um, many of you, this is just a review. But when God gives an impression and the Holy Spirit prompts when we're listening for guidance, then we listen and we receive. And so then what we do is we turn to pray what we just heard, and we join the Holy Spirit and Jesus as he's interceding. We kind of become like this prayer group for birthing what God wants to do on earth. So when we pray and when God prophesies, he gives these words, these impressions, our invitation is to pray because that shapes the future. We can actually birth in the future as we pray. God's will, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay? And then we can obey. Jesus has the Father's perspective. He knows the joy and excitement that lays ahead And he knows that there's something that can wreck these plans if he doesn't teach us how to behave. My parents had to teach us how to behave because there were a lot of fun things and a lot of situations where we were going to need to represent Christ on earth as a family. And if we are, you know, just going at it, how does that represent the kingdom of God, right? All right, so um, this is what... Jesus wants to teach us, and he wanted to teach the people that were in front of him because he knew that they were going to need a new heart and a new spirit, which he would soon give, and they needed to be restored in their thinking because how we think then impacts how we act, right? And so he starts in this passage that we read today by teaching them the things that don't embody love, and temper and desire for revenge do not embody love. All right, God's image in us um, was broken when um, sin entered the world. And so before that, we imaged him and, um, and perfectly. And when sin entered the world, it broke that image, and in that came this corruption so that our hearts weren't right anymore. It, they weren't right towards the Lord, and they weren't right toward each other, and that's where violence entered in. By the next generation, there was murder. And by the time of Noah, there was so much violence that God actually regretted making the earth. All right? People treated each other however they felt like. They ended up overreacting in things. There was constant fighting, people killing one another. I know how upset my parents were when my sibling and I were fighting. Just imagine how God felt when he looked at his humanity that was meant to image him on earth and everybody's going at it and killing each other. And fighting all the time. How sad, how disappointing. And so he gives a law that's intended for the civil government to enforce. And he was trying to put a limit on violence. And so in verse 38, he quotes a segment of that law. He's actually quoting from Exodus 21 when he says, An eye for an eye, this is what you've heard, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Well, this is what it says. But if when fighting, this is Exodus 21, 23 to 25. But if when fighting, there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, 
bruise for bruise. And so over time, what God gave for the government, the civil government at that time, uh, operating out of the church leadership, for them to um, give guidance about how to limit so that they wouldn't overcorrect or overpunish um, people if there was fighting going on, they decided for whatever reason to make it an obligation in personal relationships. All right, are you hearing the difference? It was supposed to limit correction, and they taught that it was your obligation. If somebody poked your eye out, you go poke theirs. If they break your tooth, you break theirs. And so this wrong teaching caused people that were already sinful to think they were doing God's will by doing paybacks. All right? And so they felt like it was an obligation to retaliate. And Jesus is teaching them a new way of life as they embody the kingdom of God. And so he says um, not to take offense at great insults. A cultural backhanded slap was um, considered an insult. You know, some cultures are a lot more um, demonstrative and aggressive, you know, uh, others. But still, we've got aggression. Sometimes it's more verbal uh, than physical. But anyway, so that backhanded slap was an insult. Um, Intentionally giving up your rights if you're sued for your possession. They had these long, it's a shirt, it was like a tunic that they wore, um, and that was what they wore during the day, and at night they put their, their coat on, okay? So this could be my tunic, and this could be the coat. And you were allowed to sue for the tunic, but you couldn't sue for the coat. And he says, you know, they're doing you wrong, but why don't you just be so loving and generous? Why don't you just offer to give them your coat too? Whoa. And then the Roman soldiers had... Um, a policy that they could ask people to just um, pick up and carry their gear for a mile, but they limited it to a mile. And people resented it like crazy when they were asked to carry things for the Roman soldiers because they already resented the Roman um, aggression and coming in and taking over in the empire. And so what does Jesus say? He says, forgo your rights, and why don't you choose out of love? If they're so tired that they can't carry it for a mile, why don't you carry it for two? Jesus calls his followers to a countercultural response to mistreatment. He says, don't follow that well-worn trail of your old sinful flesh and harbor resentment and want to enact revenge. Don't get offended and push for your rights. You can choose to lay them down as an act of worship to the Lord and a way to show love and undeserved kindness and generosity, even to those that aren't likely to change or to repay. Now, I need to push pause here a minute and say there's a pastoral comment I need to make here. We are in a community, a culture, uh, a world where abuse happens. And so this is not saying that you have to endure marital abuse or violent relationships and so if you're experiencing something like that um, there's no shame there's a lot of compassion and um, I want you to come and ask one of your care elders or pastors to help talk you through how would we take the whole of scripture 
and um, give guidance in this because you certainly don't need to stay in a violent relationship. But there's ways that the Lord would have you um, enact that, okay? So that's just my pushing pause. But basically, I think what Jesus is saying, he knows their hard hearts. He knows what they've already been taught, which is, you know, this is your role is to retaliate. Paybacks is what God wants. And he's really switching it. And he's saying, why don't you just let some things go for the sake of um, peace? Why don't you love instead of hate? And so he goes on and says the second thing is that um, hating your enemy does not embody love. This is really a second point here. And pastor and writer John Ortberg says, just as love is the ultimate expression of the law, so lovelessness, not having love, is the ultimate expression of sin. All right? So Jesus is calling out, the lack of love. In verse 43, he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And probably everybody there was going, yep, yep. And we're doing a really good job of it, Jesus. We hate those Romans. Aren't we doing good? And the problem is, God's word didn't actually teach that. Here's what God commanded from Leviticus 19.18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It doesn't say anything about hating your enemies. They just kind of took what it was said, don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people, and they just assumed that they could flip that and say, okay, but hate your enemies. And so that's what they had been taught. Well, how scary it is to think that something that's familiar and generational, like this is what's been handed down to us, is that we're supposed to hate our enemies, um, that we could assume that it would be correct. But when we don't know God's word and we just watch what people are saying and doing and we aren't really paying attention to the details of what God's word says, um, we can miss it and misapply and think that, God would say, hate your enemies. At one time, slavery was thought to be taught in the Bible as God's will. All right? So people interpreted it that way, and what they were doing was kind of taking their culture and their own desires and selfishness and just somehow coming up with an interpretation of Scripture. So we need to be really careful about that. God did not want his children to have terrible tempers. He didn't want them... Um, exacting revenge and hurting one another. He didn't want them hurting and hating others that were different from them. Why? Well, there's several reasons, really. God loves the world, right? God loves the world, and hate doesn't embody his kingdom and the character of the Father. And as children, we're supposed to have the character of our Father, our Heavenly Father. Anger and violence and hatred destroys community. I mean, how many of you know that maybe you've even sadly got separations and divisions even among friends or family, right? Um, Because of seeing things differently, getting angry with each other, saying words, and it creates separation. And it hurts our chance for witnessing to others. And um, as we've seen with this outreach, even for Christmas, the prayer walking, they went and handed out many um, invitations to come. 
but almost every single person that showed up here, and we had 30 guests for Christmas service, was by relationship. It's by people knowing that you are safe and loving, and you invite, and they come, right? And so um, God knows, and Jesus knew, that this idea of hating your enemies was not going to work out for the plan to go and make disciples of the world, right? Jesus knows the Father's intention, and he's trying to prepare them. I loved what Katie shared in her testimony about seeing correction as a way not to look at it as um, like a bummer deal, but actually like a blessing that God wants us to do better and he has more for us. And so that's what he's doing now when he's calling the people to love their enemies. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Verse 44 and 45. Love. Don't hate your enemies. And how do you love them? Well, he says, pray for them. And if you know, when you start to pray for somebody, you really start to care about them. It it changes your heart more and more um, to be loving and deepens your love for a person. And also obedience. And so he's saying, love your enemies. And how should we respond? Well, love is an action and it's a choice. It's not a feeling that we have to feel first. All right. It'll come in line, but it's love is an action and a choice. Love that he's talking about here is agape. It's unconditional. It's other-centered. It's self-giving love. Love seeks the well-being of others without expecting anything back. And I think this too, not expecting anything back, but just for the pure purpose. I mean, this blew my mind for about an hour this week, just thinking about the purity of God's love. Like, that there wouldn't be any selfish motivation whatsoever. He's not trying to get anything. He loves. He just loves because he is love. All right. We're called to love everyone with agape love, just like the sun and the rain is available for all. And it's not based on performance or living right. God sends the sun and the rain to everybody. And I used to work at a place that had a banner over the door that said, just love them. So every time we walked out the door, we saw this banner, just love them. So if you're going out to meet people that you love and they love you, just love them. And if you're going out to have a hard conversation or even somebody that's going to um, betray you or, you know, be really, really hard on you, just love them. This is what Jesus is teaching. It's countercultural again. Everyone is used to, he says, everybody greets um, their own people, and everyone's used to loving those that love you back. But this is really radical, to love your enemies. And when it's observed, makes you pay attention. And I've um, been most, one of the most noteworthy things, actually the most noteworthy thing that I've read from the release of the Israeli hostages was um, that were abducted by Hamas was on NBC News. And um, at the point of their release, um, Yashaved Lifchitz, 85, turned to her Hamas kidnapper shook his hand, and spoke one word, shalom. Shalom. 
peace. May God set everything right. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Shalom. Wow. Another example, the story is told that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he returned to Germany, um, as he wanted to resist that authoritarian, authoritarian regime of Nazism, he knew he was going back. He knew he was going to probably get um, imprisoned, and he did. He got the death sentence. They hung him. How did he treat his jail wardens? He treated them cheerfully every day as fellow human beings. You can be against evil, but you can treat people with love and respect always. Loving your enemies invites peace. Doesn't guarantee peace because there's, you know, it's a two-way street, but it invites peace. And loving your enemies is part of God's peacekeeping. And Jesus has come to restore shalom. Everything's set right. And this really, it says that um, they will be called children of God. And that really references back. They would have just heard this in the Beatitudes about blessed are the peacemakers. Here they'll be called children of God. And so when you love and you pray for your enemies, you're manifesting God's glory and his divine nature on earth. What a privilege. Jesus fully restores. If I was um, showing you a piece of furniture that I had restored, if I was putting the pictures up, you know, like, you know, one of those do-it-yourselfer, you know, shows, um, I'd show you the old furniture, then I'd show you the sanding process, then I'd show you the painting, and then I'd show you where I put new hardware on it and how it looked amazing. That would be like restoration, a restoration process. Well, Jesus is trying to teach them and teach us a restoration process of our hearts. And so um, I want to just show you what being restored in the human heart goes from revenge to blessing. And so I drew some pictures. And Brittany, can you put the first one up? All right. So this is um, unrestrained rage. I know. Be impressed with my artistic ability. Hey. I was trying, like, this is what I think the family discipleship group does when you listen to scripture and then sometimes you do your picture journaling. And so I was, this happened before, when this week when I was going through the scripture, I was drawing pictures. What does that look like? What does this look like? And so before Noah, when everything was so violent, everybody is just, you know, unrestrained, whatever they're feeling, all their anger is coming out towards each other, and they're dying, and they're being completely mutilated. All right, let's go to the next one. So that's the beginning. That's the old furniture, right? Okay, now Jesus says, God gave a limitation that you all took as an obligation to do this. This was supposed to be the law that limited you, like if one eye that red eye and that red mouth that's got blood coming out. You know, if one of you gets that way, then you're retaliating and um, putting somebody else's eye and breaking their tooth off. And so here's this um, retribution for injustice, okay? So that's, that's probably the standing process where you start to say, this wasn't intended, we're getting this, we're getting this off. Okay, go on to the next picture. 
All right, here he's saying, you know, you're loving, but you're only loving those that are like you. And I wish the colors had come through a little bit more because I drew um, two people in black and two people in brown. Um, But, you know, here they are. They're in the same space, but they're staying apart. They're staying with those like. Sometimes we do this even within this church when we um, have, you know, like greeting time. We kind of go to the same people. We have fellowship time afterwards. Do you, are you making a point to go to somebody that's different from you or that you don't know to get to know? If we aren't practicing this here, how are we practicing this out in our streets, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our relationships? And so this is the painting. He's saying it's getting better, but it's not finished yet. All right? This is the separation where they may be loving those like them. But remember, the pagans do that too. All right? All right, let's go to the last picture, which I believe is the restoration. And in this picture, this is kind of like the putting the hardware on. It's really like living out the Father's will for us. And it's where love, the Holy Spirit, is creating koinonia and fellowship. And there's somebody drawn in black and brown and orange and purple. I tried to draw a kitty cat and I forgot the ears. Um, but anyway, so there's this relationship of love among people that aren't like each other, and they're welcoming and extending invitation to come come near. And this person that's over here in green has a question mark, like, "What is the deal with these people?" But it's curious enough that they're not they're not turning their head; they're actually like paying attention. And you see the living water the streams of living water flowing. And I believe that person's going to step in. And I believe they're going to become connected. And at every connection point, there's this heart of love, this agape. We're going to work things out. We're not going to disconnect. We're going to stay connected. Pictures of a heart of restoration. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect means mature or whole. And agape love is at the core of that maturity and that wholeness. And he says, do this. You, you. He says this to the people sitting there in front of him that were used to, like, you know, beating it out. And he says that to us. Whether we're physically violent or whether we're lashing out verbally or whether we're just ignoring each other, And dismissing each other, are we coming together? And he says, you be perfect. And that you is a future tense. You will be perfect. Well, this leaves us in a dilemma. How are we supposed to be perfect? The Old Testament, the people had seen, this didn't work out. They were supposed to love God and love others, and they just kept messing up and messing up and messing up. And so how could they possibly think they were going to do any better? And how could we possibly think we're going to do any better? We actually can't. In our own strength, we can't. We can't do this on our own. But yet, if Jesus tells us, be perfect, then there must be a way to do it. How is it? Well, we saw through Matthew in the the summer and the fall 
that Jesus had told them to go and heal the sick and drive out demons. They did the impossible then because they trusted Jesus and they received his authority. And he's saying, you be perfect in your character. You be so full of love that you represent God perfectly. Be mature in your love. It's going to happen the same way. We aren't going to get it. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. He's going to give us, and he did. He made this possible on the cross when he laid his life down. He came to give us, take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and send the Holy Spirit to reside in us, God himself, to change us, to make us like him. Day by day, we've got a coach inside of us. Katie's a coach. She's coaching her students along. The Holy Spirit inside of us, God himself, is coaching us along. You don't have to act like what you saw in your family of origin. You don't have to act like what you see your neighbors doing. You can be different. You can represent our family. And when there is love, there is so much that we have to look forward to. Jesus himself Second Peter, I think it is. Let me see. Yeah, um, Peter 2.23 says, when, we hurled, <clears throat> when they hurled their insults at him, who was Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats back to them. There was going to be no retribution from him. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. When anything is done and it's not right... I think in some ways we maybe have overcompensated on being assertive a little bit. Couldn't we let a few more things go? Couldn't we just forgive and bless? Couldn't we be more loving to each other? With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can. And we can live like Jesus. He's teaching us. The Father has good intentions. He had them for those people in front of Jesus as they were listening and what they would be like as they went out and represented him on earth. And he has good intentions for us, even in 2024. And I believe that it's going to be so amazing. It's going to be better than family night going for root beer floats. (laughs) I mean, we just heard Mark tell this amazing story and Derek of different experiences of You didn't say seeing Jesus, but you were so, you just so aware of his presence and your smallness and his largeness in a big, big world. And how that he gives words. And he gives joy in meeting people that are very different. And amazingly gave humility that they would be willing to talk to you, right? Because you're really different from them. And yet it was a sweet interaction. He's got so much for us, and I think that it just really comes down to this question. Will we surrender our rights to hold a grudge or have revenge, and instead will we pray and choose to love? I have great anticipation for this next year, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your correction. I thank you for your instruction. And Lord, I pray... Let your kingdom come in our hearts. Lord, don't let us be siblings that are needling each other and totally missing the point. 
Lord, help us to love. Help us to love fully. Grow mature love in each of us. Lord, not just for what we get out of it, but actually for the joy that's set before us that someday, no matter whether we go through wonderful, exciting, happy things or we go through some really hard things this year, Lord, help us to walk in the fullness of love so that we can enjoy that great feast in your presence in the new creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.